The reading I'm going to speak to you this morning is from the Beatitudes, at least part of it anyway. So if I read, read them first to you. This is from Matthew 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is um, very familiar, but also a very demanding passage in the Bible. And if this is in fact what we are required to be as a Christian, the Sermon on the Mount appears in its entirety only in Matthew. Although all the texts do appear in Luke, and there is a similar version in Luke 6, the Matthew sermon is about three times as long as the one in Luke, but there are many comparisons. Some people apparently have continually exercised their mind as to whether the sermon is a collection of principles that Jesus said during his ministry or that it was truly preached altogether at the same time. I suppose at the end of the day it's not critically important if the whole Sermon on the Mount was delivered at once or whether Matthew and Luke are giving their versions of the same incident. But I'm actually only going to concentrate on the first beatitude today which is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What does Jesus really mean when he says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? When you study various Bible translations of this over, well I've looked at several Bibles, you find that the Good News Bible, for example, translates blessed as happy. So they, in their verse 3 it says, Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Well, happy at all levels is the one thing that man strives for all his life. And yet he remains endlessly elusive. We fortunately live in a very rich environment and rich society no matter what we have however much food or drink we have no matter how many cars television houses holidays even that we have we're never really these are and we're never really satisfied however lovely these things are for many boredom as you know soon sets in nor can any physical exercise you do or mental stimulation make the slightest difference or contribution in the long term in your long term happiness. 
it's impossible to meet any spiritual needs in this way. There is always a hole somewhere in everybody's heart and it aches. King Solomon was the perfect example of this striving for happiness. He was a brilliant politician, administrator and military commander. And he was wise, as we all know. He wrote songs and, he, and some 3,000 proverbial sayings he wrote. And he was also the wealthiest king alive. He apparently owned 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses. His annual income included 23 tons of gold. And his libido was absolutely astonishing because he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I don't know, this astounds me. A, a totally sumptuous lifestyle that is impossible for anyone to even dream of. And yet when he reflected on all this in Ecclesiastes, which certainly was written and certainly parts of it they know Solomon wrote, this is what he wrote. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and this was a reward for my labour. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon was a tragic example of someone having everything to make him happy, to make him supremely happy, and yet he describes it all as meaningless. This search for happiness is completely elusive, and by and large people are looking for it in the wrong place, trying to find satisfaction while ignoring the only one who can fully meet their needs. The point of this is that happiness is something that depends on circumstance, over which he has little or no control. It is haphazard and largely based on chance or luck. I read somewhere that the word happiness is based on an old English word called hap, which is actually means chance or luck. So happiness is that. And that's why the translation of happy is cannot be right. It's not right as, far as it falls far short of actually what Jesus meant. The Beatitudes are not anything to do with people's feelings, but descriptions of their inner spiritual condition before God. And blessedness is something only God can give. We simply do not have the inner resources to generate the spiritual condition that makes us acceptable to God, nor even to produce true happiness that follows. Blessedness is independent of circumstance. Unlike happiness, blessedness is not tied to happenings, nor is it affected by changing circumstances in our lives. Blessedness is a condition that God longs for all his people to enjoy. That great blessing, you know that, that Lord Jesus, or no, the Lord gave Moses 
tell Aaron and his sons, this is in Numbers, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. You know this. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God's blessing is an assurance of his favour and of his concern for the well-being of all his people. Blessedness is related to a person's spiritual condition and this is completely beyond the common grace of all creation that God has bestowed on mankind. So, you know, somebody who has a non-believer enjoys God's full provision of the creation, the blessing of creation. We enjoy it, but the Beatitudes are associated with salvation. This is an extra that God has given us. We've got the creation. He wants us to, to you know, find a lot of joy in that, which we all do. But we, he's also offering us, offering us salvation. It's a step forward. God does not owe us his blessing, or is it something he can, we can earn? We can't do that. But the Bible often makes the point that God's marked favours to us are all linked to three things. Faith, righteousness and obedience. To be blessed by God is to know his gracious favour. The ultimate well-being and spiritual joy of those who share the kingdom of God. In the Beatitudes, no extra is added which relates to the person's specific spiritual characteristics. He then bestows the privilege of belonging to the kingdom of heaven. Okay, what's the kingdom of heaven? Is it? <laughs> we say it so often, but what is it? It's a supernatural kingdom, which we all know. It extends far beyond the earth, and it has no, no earthly character whatsoever. It's nothing like earth, and it's nothing like we're used to. And it hasn't any limitations that the earth has. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's everlasting, we're told, and it's dynamic. And if we think of the history of the earth, and whatever's happened on the history of this earth, there's been passing events, there's been wars, there's been rise, rising in powers, there's been um, massive empires, but over all this, right from the beginning and forever, our Lord God reigns. Hallelujah. His, his, this regal concept of a king runs right through the Bible. In the Beatitudes, it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven. But in other places in the Bible, it's referred to as the kingdom of God. We know it's the same thing. But Matthew, in, this, in his um, Beatitudes, and, and when he wrote his, his, um, uh, his book, uh, he never mentions at all the kingdom of God. He avoided actually mentioning God as he was writing primarily at the time for the Jews. And God was felt to be too exalted to be spoken of out loud. Heaven was used as a euphemism for God in this instance. And some people might say that it's the same with the crown instead of the queen. Citizens of this kingdom are called to a lifestyle which seems to run counter to all the moral ethos of this world. This relates to every area of our lives. Our inner thoughts, to our outward behaviour, 
both to other people and our relationship with God. We just have to be different. By God's grace, we've been rescued from the world of darkness, a life lived out under God's divine rule. This first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, okay, poor in spirit. <laughs> what indeed is that? Poor in spirit doesn't mean that we need to be materially poor. The Bible neither commends poverty nor condemns wealth. And neither does it say that money is the root of all evil, which is often something we hear. In 1 Timothy 6, there is a chapter about the love of money. I'll read it, verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's, it's the love. So I mean, the Bible's not saying that it is in itself evil. There are many examples in the Bible of people who were both wealthy and godly. Abraham was very wealthy. King David was also. And even after Christ was crucified, he was placed in a private tomb owned by Joseph. And he was a rich man from Arimathea. I find it personally difficult to understand the vows of poverty, which some people do. Obviously, it might take them and remove them from temptation, but if being materially poor was a qualification for blessing by God, then surely if we give to the poor, we're not doing them a lot of favours. And this is clearly not the case. The poverty referred to is not in the person's pocket, but in their spirit. Poor in spirit does not mean being mean-spirited, being miserly. It does not mean being intellectually poor. It does not mean having a poor self-image. The human spirit is everything that we can think of as being part of the inner person. A person's spirit is not what we see in their material world social standing, outward appearance, or their intellect. It is what is seen by God when he looks right into our hearts. <laughs> I think there's a Proverb 20, 27, that sums this up very well. The lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of man. It searches his innermost being. And I think that's wonderful. I can imagine him holding a lantern or a torch or something. <laughs> The Beatitudes form a framework of what God requires of a Christian life. But God realises that these demands cannot be met in our own power because they are really strong. And, this, and that we do not do it my way. I mean, that was a, <laughs> this, this thing of the Frank Sinatra song, Doing It My Way, is surprisingly, it's, it's actually the most popular funeral song now. And yet... It's not exactly what God wants. And, and we need the help and the grace of God. And he, you know, there's, there's a lot to, lot to be thankful for. And he, he obviously wants us to be happy and he wants us to 
enjoy the creation. He wants us, you know, to, you know, it sounds as though it's a, a gloomy framework that he wants, but he doesn't want that for us. He just wants us to, to work to it. There is a personal revival checklist. <laughs> this is, might be helpful. It was written by someone in America, which is designed to help Christians in praying through the Sermon on the Mount. So if you were reading it and you wanted to pray through it, Deep questions that you can ask of yourself. And these are serious questions. Do I have genuine poverty of spirit? Do I consistently recognize my own inability and critical need for God in my life? Am I continually mourning over the sin in my life? When I sin, is there a godly sorrow? that leads to a repentance without regret? Am I meek? Am I willing to be governed by God alone? Is the quality of brokenness clearly visible in my life? Am I hungry and thirsty for rightness in every realm of my life? With God? with others, in every situation, circumstance or decision? Am I merciful towards others? Do I exhibit a spirit of forgiveness? Quite some questions. But remember that Christians are not children of earth trying to get to heaven. They are children of heaven making their way home. And the Beatitudes serve to remind us of the route we must take as well as we are able. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, we have looked at just a small part of your standards and wishes for our lives. You know that we find them hard to meet in our own strength. Lord, help us and forgive us. We thank you for the comfort of knowing that we are your children and that you bless us daily. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.